Hello and welcome to Level Zero Literacy. I'm Sam, and this week we are going to be covering the spectacular Chicory, A Colorful Tale. As always, this discussion will include full spoilers for the game, and we're going to discuss topics that include, but are not limited to, depression, toxic relationships, and other themes of mental health. Please use your best judgment before proceeding. Enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome back to Level Zero Literacy, the video game podcast where we break down some of the best narrative games and talk about what they have to offer. I'm here with Buck and Mason as usual and once again we are joined by Haley. Hey. Hey. Hi. And today we are going to be talking about Chicory, A Colorful Tale. Chicory is a puzzle dungeon crawler akin to a 2D style Zelda game and was developed by Wishes Unlimited. You play as the protagonist, who we will be calling Pizza throughout this episode and using she-they pronouns for, who finds themselves burdened with the brush, a special object which is the power to color in the world. Pizza is tasked with fighting corruptions that have been popping up all over the land to protect them from spreading further. Important themes include depression, artistic intent, artistic expression, and toxic relationships. Did everybody else name their character as pizza? No, but most of the time, if whenever the protagonist gets used in like other pieces of media, so like there is an assist in frame makers that is the protagonist of Chigri, and the name they used was Pizza. And oh, generally, okay. whenever the developers... It's the canonical name. Yeah, like, gotcha. you, whenever the developers use the, like, yeah. talk about it, they usually refer to them as Pizza. All so right. that's, like, the... Mine was spaghetti. Mine yeah. was sushi. Mine was fries, so I might <laughs> <laughs> keep calling her fries and have to correct myself. My favorite thing I learned during this playthrough, because I named them Stromboli, <laughs> and there is another NPC who's named Stromboli, and so Stromboli's name became Big Bully. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. That is great. I didn't do that intentionally, but that was a fun little detail to discover. <laughs> I got to say, the game was a fantastic way to uh, wash the taste of Spec Ops the line out of my mouth. The whole thing is very cute. Very, It's all adorable and saccharine and loving and wholesome you have two loving parents you have a cast of cute uh, characters that are all your friends and you know it deals with some heavier darker stuff but i really needed a cuter a nicer game after spec ops and this was like this was just what i needed have you forgotten the second corruption fight I mean, yeah, with I, the loud ass screaming. It's not just like it's. <laughs> oh yeah, it's not even on the same level. There's like comedy to break up the serious moments. Yeah, and it's not. I mean, like it's not even. There are things that are slightly on the heavier side, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's not even in the same zip code as Spec Ops. Oh yeah, yeah. I really like how well this game replicates the feeling of using of coloring in a coloring book Mm -hmm. i think for a lot of people that is a very cathartic activity and i feel like in this game you kind of get that same feeling of relaxation and catharsis that you do with as if you were coloring in a coloring book 
Yeah, absolutely. It is exactly the same for me. I did a lot of extra stuff in this game just because, like, you can color. It feels good. <laughs> it feels good to play. Mm-hmm. I think it's really great that this this style of game is very accessible to people, mm-hmm. even people that might not play a lot of video games. I think this is a game that would be very easy for people to pick up and play. Yeah. And just enjoy for what would, it is. Yeah, I would agree with that. As someone who like doesn't play many video games for myself, I did play through this one. I will say like with some of the battles and puzzles, like I did have a hard time with the controls and all that. But I think part of that too was I played on PlayStation and not PC like I think the rest of you all did. Yeah. yeah. I do think the controllers Probably would have been much easier on PC, but yeah, I think this was much more accessible of a game for someone who's of my skill level with video games, because as I mentioned in the Metal Gear Solid 2 episode, I prefer to watch most of the time because I don't have the patience or the wherewithal to (laughs) get myself through, you know, like battles and puzzles and, you know, that kind of stuff. It It was also surprising to me how quickly you picked up the game. Because I, last night when you were finishing up, like the day before, I was having to do a bunch of puzzles and screens for you. And then I left you alone to finish the game last night while I edited. And you went into the room where I was editing at one point and you were like, I beat the game. And also I got all of the screens and completed all the side quests. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Whoa. Well, I also only had the last chapter left to go last night, and the last chapter isn't all that long. But yeah. that bo- that last boss fight's pretty difficult. It was but, <laughs> like compare like comparatively to a lot of things in this game. I guess uh, so. Uh, speaking of that, because I'm a little, are there fail states for the fights? No, no. Okay. What? It, so one of the things I really like about this game and one of the things that makes it so accessible and I think it actually works really well in the narrative is that in the boss fights, whenever you're, you basically have two, two hearts and whenever you get hit twice, you get sent back to the start of that phase rather than like all the way back to the beginning. And as I was kind of thinking about that from the perspective of art and creation, you know, as an artist, whenever you begin to create, whenever you start, you know, honing your skills, there's only so much your ability can degrade over time. Mm -hmm. There's always, there are checkpoints almost in your artistic ability. And I think there's something really cool about, I know that I understand that like part of it was done for accessibility and for ease of use for the player, especially in a game where, essentially the only combat is against the bosses. I think it actually works really well for tying in with the narrative and with themes of the game for the bosses to function like they do. Mm -hmm. It is, I mean, yeah, the game centers a lot around creativity. And in that sense, the bosses are, well, the bosses aren't really about creativity, but sort of dealing with, with feelings within yourself there are themes of creativity right because each of the boss fights especially when you're fighting against the corruptions of the other wielders are artistically themed 
as the wielders would have painted the world. So like mm. Blackberry's corruption is a very rigid patterned style of painting. Everything's in blocks or lines. It's all very well structured and composed against like Chicory's boss fight, which I think is meant to be more of a reflection of her state of mind, but it also like you still get concepts of her artistic expression within it. Yeah, I could see that. And also if like there was a way to fail those battles, I definitely would have found them because (laughs) I got hit so many times in probably most of them. I think I did have one or two where I actually did pretty well, but yeah, I got hit a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it's pretty special that how well the gameplay really ties into the other aspects of the narrative elements of this game. And I think that's something that we haven't really had a game on this podcast do yet really efficiently and effectively is kind of blur the line between the narrative and the gameplay elements. And I think for me, that's just, I'm really glad that there are games out there that are able to do that. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's like really hard for a game to do right. Because at least in my opinion, like I, I, it's also my taste. My taste for games is almost exclusively mechanically driven games. Typically things like Mega Man or Donkey Kong or something like that, where it's almost entirely just game mechanically driven. But this game has a theme and things that it wants to tell through kind of forcing you to be creative. Like one of my favorite things is trying to do the art recreation stuff at the art lesson place. And it's funny because one, I can't draw, so it's hard for me. But two, you don't really have the tools to recreate the pieces of art that you're shown. Not even a little bit. (laughs) That's the great part is that it doesn't, you know, it's okay that you're bad at drawing because the point isn't that you're the point of this game isn't that you're good at drawing, right? The mm-hmm. point is that you're growing and you know, maybe you're improving a little bit yeah. over time. Because like Pizza's not an artist. Mm-hmm. She you know, she's never Pizza's a janitor drawn anything yeah. before. <laughs> you're not supposed to be good at it. But despite that, everyone that you come across is like pretty ubiquitous ubiquitously i think that's a word ubiquitous ubiquitously 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 supportive of your work your colors your choices your style Mm -hmm. and even if you kind of look back at the hall of portraits of all the wielders past some of those wielders were not what i think the typical person would call great artists there is just a stick yeah there's There's a stick figure (laughs) in that list of photos i love it thank goodness our paintings did not have to be good because mine were terrible yours were great mason yours were great cracked yours were great i forget which one it was they were so funny absolutely losing it the one where you have to draw chicory (laughs) i showed mason mine for this playthrough 
and the stylistic choice I made for this playthrough is that I was going to draw all the characters as if you were looking at them from a f- head-on perspective. Oh, no. You're a, you're a sicko. <laughs> it was nightmare they look, fuel. They look it was so really, disgusting. It was really great. It was really enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I think there's something, it's really cool that this is a game about artistic expression and they actually let you as a player in on the message of the narrative by allowing you to create and giving you some tools, but not everything you need to do the things that you want to try to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, they don't set you up to fail. They give you a, a blank canvas and are like, do what you can with what we've given you. And you can create some pretty solid things if you want to put in the time and the effort, but you don't have to. Yeah. Like if you get enough brush styles and stuff, you can do interesting things. Like I, I actually, I'm not super proud, but I really liked my recreation of restraint because mm-hmm. I got to use like several of the brush styles to try to recreate the texture that you literally can't do with what you're given with the like Raven's feathers. Yeah. I, I had a lot of fun with doing the creative thing because drawing is a thing that I would always love to do and never have the time or materials or patience to do. Doing it for the podcast made it a little bit easier to like kind of explore that a little bit, except I hate drawing with a mouse. It's a little annoying. (laughs) I think it'd be interesting to see if people, anyone's ever played this game on a tablet. Oh, I bet that I bet like a a drawing tablet. I bet their drawings go crazy. Even then, you're still limited by the tools, which I think is a, a good thing. Yeah. So let's let's get into people's one moments, and then we can kind of break down some other elements of the narrative as we go along. Mason, why don't you start us off? All right. So my one moment uh, happens during the final boss battle. Throughout the game, you fight a few bosses, and if you were to fail, pizza just like kind of falls down and cries and you have to menu through to continue the fight or whatever. But over the course of the game, you grow this camaraderie with chicory that you don't have at the beginning of the game. And during the final fight, chicory will, instead of letting you fail and die, will will pick you up. Yeah. Right. It's so you don't, you don't fall over and cry anymore chicory is there to pick you up and support you and just put you back in the fight you don't even have to menu through it anymore mm-hmm. uh the fight just simply continues and i think it's a it's a really great way that the game kind of reinforces this arc between these two characters in a way that's reflected in the gameplay like you were talking you were speaking to this earlier chicory is for the large part of the game very like standoffish and very crabby because she's going through a lot of stuff and throughout the game pizza makes a lot of effort to try and mend that bridge and like create a genuine friendship and the payoff of finally like happening during the climax is incredibly touching i i think yeah yeah there's lots of small details in the boss battles that i think can go unnoticed if you do it perfectly or if you just kind of rush through it and aren't paying attention. Haley, you want 
So my one moment, and it was a little hard to choose one because I thought there was a lot of uh, moments throughout this game that were like really touched me in a way. Um, But I'm going to talk about when um, you're doing one of the trials Um, at one point in the game, you have to go through four wielder trials to really strengthen your bond with the brush. So this one is during the Spoons Island one, which was the second trial that I did. And at one point during the trial, before the last step, you and Chicory kind of take a break and float in a pond that's on the island. And there's a lot of conversation between the two of you about I guess kind of the path that you envisioned for yourself, like Chicory talks about, you know, how she always um, wanted to be a wielder and that's what she wanted to strive towards while, you know, you pizza uh, didn't really have an idea of what you wanted to do with your life. We're just kind of like, you know, I wish that I had had like this path that I knew for myself. I want to know these things about me. And Chicory is like, well, I wish I had been kind of more like you that I wasn't so maybe like narrow minded on this one path for myself. You know, I never considered a plan B for if I failed or I wasn't able to do this. So I thought that was really interesting how like they had very, or you all had very different perspectives um, for your life, but kind of envied the other person for, you know, how, they kind of viewed um, their path and it just kind of goes on also about a theme that comes up a lot in this game of like self doubt, like Mm -hmm. doubt in your abilities, whether it's your abilities as an artist or even just like your self as a person too. Um, Cause that's something that comes up throughout the game a lot is like what I call like negative self-talk that I think a lot of us fall into that trap at some time or another in our lives. So I thought, you know, in when they're floating in the pond specifically, that really kind of like touched me of, Oh yeah. You know, we have this idea of the grass is kind of greener on the other side. Cause this person seems to have their, life planned out or this person seems to be so free in their options when really like we're kind of all struggling. I think it's also really and a really good reflection on heroes and hero worship for people mm-hmm. where, you know, I think a lot of the time we have a pretty good understanding that you know, don't look, never look up to your heroes or like never meet your heroes or whatever. But I feel like this game actually does a pretty good job of showing how a relationship between like a hero and a fan can flesh out in a way that can be healthy for both of the individuals at the end of the road Mm. where it's two characters that are coming to terms with who they are, what they are, what they've been through and being honest and open with each other, which is not something I think you can expect in average life. And that's not what I think the takeaway is, but I think it is important to like be able to recognize that those people you look up to are flawed in a myriad of ways. And, you know, you may not get, you're never, you're probably never going to get the opportunity to, 
talk to them and discuss with them and really get a, a deep dive on it. But just giving people an understanding of, hey, you know, you need to think about what these people you look up to might be going through or what they might have done in their lives. Yeah. And I think the whole relationship with Chicory throughout the game is a kind of exploration of pizza who is someone who does not seem traditionally heroic it's kind of i when i was playing through this game i constantly present prevented myself from saying the joke in the chat that anyone could wear the mask yeah yeah uh, yeah <laughs> because your relate your character pizza in this game doesn't really see themselves as a hero but wants to turn out to be heroic and chicory who strove this whole time simply to be the hero to be the wielder and then just not that she couldn't I guess it was that she couldn't handle the responsibility, right? She had something holding her back, but she gave up on it and you ended up with it. And I, this, this relationship between you where sushi, uh, sorry, sushi is what I (laughs) called my character. Pizza never stops seeing chicory as a hero. And, chicory ends up seeing you as a hero because you end up through just the necessity of having to play the game you end up being a heroic figure right like and it's interesting because i don't feel like pizza pizza does question their ability to live up to people's standards absolutely i love how this game kind of just presents you with People are going to ask you to do whatever. You're going to run into someone and they're just going to ask you to do something because of your status as a person. And you have the choice of whether to do it or not. And I just reflexively did it because I'm playing a video game. Right. right? But that's not how pizza in the game perceives it. Pizza sees it as oh, this is another thing that someone else is asking me to do. And I think the game does a good job of, through Pizza's dialogue, showing like the doubts and thoughts of someone who is not the person playing the video game having the power of the wielder put on them. Yeah. And how that's kind of a really weird thing to deal with when you're not someone who trained the whole time in this world to be the wielder. Yeah. And there's a really good scene of that where when you go to dinners for the first time, Clementine, your sister is there and she's like, yo, come grab a slice <laughs> and y'all go grab. You just like sit down for some, some pizza, a little slices. Uh, <laughs> and you're having this like very deep conversation about the pressures of the wielder. And then the owner of the pizza shop's like, Hey, can you, paint me a new logo for my pizza place. I think it would make yeah. me do a lot better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Clementine's just like, so is that like all the time? And you're like, yeah, that's just my life now. And it's like, it's, it's funny, but it's also just like 
I think it's just it it does a good job of being poignant without feeling overbearing mm-hmm. in that moment because it lets you as a player recognize the fact that it's very silly that all of these people are asking pizza for these favors despite the fact that pizza's been the wielder for you know a day yeah. or whatever <laughs> it's just it is expected of you as a wielder to help people and not think about your your self needs or whatever you're expected to be this like selfless caring person and while you know that's something everyone should strive to be it shouldn't come at the cost of yourself your own identity your own mental health your own concept of your artistic ideation but so how do you how do you toe the line between all these people that are relying on you to create the world around them mm-hmm. and being your own mental fortitude i i mean like this is a part of the game where i don't know if i necessarily agree with the messaging even though they present it very well in the game all the people who ask you to do favors are kind of pushy about it and they're kind of uh portrayed as like self-serving right you you make a new you make a new sign for your dad because it's going to drive business for a shop you you deliver mail for the postmaster because he's he's just like too angry to do it you've you've in, you know he's indisposed but pumpernickel yeah pumpernickel but color my house correctly please i need the colors to be balanced for and a, for a lot of those right. people the artists like intentionally portray them as being selfish but there's literally no one else who can do the job right mm-hmm. and i know for me personally like in my work and you know there's other parts of my life too but I would feel the need to sacrifice sometimes in service of a greater cause. Well, the game's not saying don't self-sacrifice, right? Yeah. It's saying don't self-sacrifice to the point where you are completely, you completely lose yourself and you completely lose your mental stability. Right. It's trying to like tell you, and I don't remember what, point in the game this was said but one there was a character at one point who you know tells pizza well you have to take care of yourself too so i think that's kind of the message i think you were getting at sam of like you know that balance between you know helping others and doing things for others but also taking care of yourself and you know mason i can see where you're coming from with work of like you know sometimes it does take self-sacrifice um you know especially in my job, like I'm a therapist, I'm a clinical mental health counselor. So my job is oftentimes about self-sacrifice, but at the same time, you know, in my field, we also place a lot of emphasis on you have to take care of yourself as well, because if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be able to serve the people that you're working with. And then, you know, effectively, I, I don't disagree with what any of you are saying, I just I do think it was a conscious choice on the part of the writers to make all the people who ask favors for you in the game or at least the vast majority of them I don't I don't recall every one of them 
but to make all of to frame all of them as being like just a little bit selfish and annoying mm. uh, i don't it, i think it, like, it depends hi- I it highlights i i think it depends on who you're talking about yeah it wasn't right? all of them i it, think well i think i think to me there's a there was a sh- a line between people that were looking for more self-serving reasons mm-hmm. people like the pizza shop owner and you know people that are in it for the business and the people that like genuinely needed help, but like like the bug like the grub kingdom the grub i mean but like there's even some people like some of the folks who's who ask you to paint their house because all the color disappeared you help them and they're like oh well you did it wrong can you like fix it well let me just, just like, like that's just like a recurring anxiety this is just like a recurring thing throughout the game. Do you, well, I mean, I like, do you understand? I feel like you just named all of the things that like hit your point, though. Like, I think the other people you help aren't as like that. I also think there's like, I for I also just feel like so like the mailman is pushy and annoying, right? But like the mail you deliver to the people like people are really grateful and like take the time to connect with you for doing it for like for them i would say most of the people are very appreciative of accomplishing things for them once they're done Mm -hmm. you know i it it, it's hard right because like yes there is a level of the whole point is like whenever you're burdened with a great responsibility you do have to given some to the people who have needs right mm-hmm. even yeah even if they are frustrating to deal with yeah and, and it's like um you know it, i feel like I, I constantly bring up the fact that i used to be a teacher uh it, it's like some students you're gonna have where you do the work to get them to where they need to be and they appreciate it some students you have where you don't actually have to work do work to get them to where they need to be and you like you just have this mutual both of us got somewhere with this from this interaction and then you have students where you have to work hard to get them to do the bare minimum and they don't like it and you don't like it but that's just where you were in that exchange and i think all three of those kind of instances of interactions with npcs in this game happen right so my one moment has changed a lot because originally Matt was going to say my one moment was the chicory corruption fight because I think the way that fight comes together is one of the most poignant boss fights I've ever seen in any video game just because the way the music mixes with the screaming mixes with the very like visceral strokes and attacks that come across. However, the scene that plays before the Blackberry corruption fight in one of the wielder trials, Mm. specifically it's the wielder trial of the brush being passed down from master to students is just so point it's just so good it's it almost like a perfect scene to me and essentially as you're going through this trial chicory is you know 
very anxious. This was a trial, the last trial that Chicory did, and it's meant to be a symbolic passing of the brush from master to student. And during it, essentially, there was a fight between Blackberry and Chicory. And Chicory, this whole time, is convinced that this area is messed up because of her and the things that she did. And when you get to the tree of corruption, you actually get to see the scene play out. But it's not Chicory who ends up being the one who causes corruption. It was Blackberry. Mm -hmm. Because Blackberry was just so distraught over the fact that her pupil stole the brush and ran off. And she holds herself accountable for not being a good enough teacher, not doing the things that she thought she needed to do. One of the things I think this game explores really well is toxic teacher-pupil relationships where I there's whenever you go set out to teach there is a fundamental level where you have to understand what you're setting out to do and how you're going to do it while also knowing that you're going to need to adapt to the situation and it blackberry is a very rigid artist very structured very you know planned out thought out um, I wouldn't say like paint by number, like the person who wouldn't make a paint by numbers picture, you know? And when she goes to teach Chicory, it's all very by the books. And by putting on the strong fronts, Chicory feels like she has to do the same to be found worthy of being the successor. But in the back of the, in the back of Blackberry's mind, she's always, she's always just afraid that if she fails in picking the correct pupil, then, you know, kind of what's happening to the world will happen. And I would argue that it's not even just like that teacher-pupil relationship, but rather just that broader concept of expectations of perfection of other people, whether it is teacher-pupil, whether it is, you know, parents, those expectations of perfection on their kids, or bosses in the workplace, or significant others, you know, all sorts of um, relationships. Because there's a couple points during the game where um, Pizza talks about the expectations of other people, and I think there other characters mention it too, but those expectations that other people have, the view that people have on them, you know, ex- those expectations of perfection, being good enough, being perfect. Um, something I like share with some of my clients at times is like expectations of perfection can be a failure on both parties. You're failing both of you because, you know, for the person you're placing those expectations on, it's kind of setting them up for disappointment and feeling bad about themselves for not meeting those expectations you set. And it also fails you because, you know, you set yourself up for disappointment as well in a way. 
Yeah. I just really love how relationships in general are portrayed in this game because it doesn't really allow you to form any expectations. You know, most of the characters have very relatively, at least relatively positive relationships with each other. So when you do see those negative experiences, it gives you this really sharp contrast to a lot of the things that are going on in the game. Mm-hmm. I just really, I really appreciate how Blackberry and Chicory's relationship gets to stand out as a result of it being such a departure from the norm. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is actually like a good hopping off point into my moment, which is uh, in the post game. So I think one of the most important things in this story is that every ex-wielder you meet is deeply traumatized by having been the wielder. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked about Blackberry and Chicory's relationship and the other wielder that you meet in this game is Cardamom. I love Cardamom. Yeah. And Cardamom is really cool. But my moment is in the post game. So at the end of the game, before you go fight the final boss, um, pizza realizes that they can make their own brush after having lost the brush in their first confrontation with the brushes corruption, which uh, I also really like the imagery of the brush being the corruption of the corruption of the world being the culminated stress and negative self-talk effectively of every wielder there has ever been. And when you find out you can make your own brush, you go and you fight and Chicory, Chicory makes her own brush. And with this revelation, we think this means everyone can have their own brush that everyone can now you know, make art for themselves. Everyone can shape the world in their own way. And when you go talk to Cardamom about this, Cardamom is like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that I want to do that. I don't think I want to do that to myself because I think that part of me is gone now because of how I felt about myself as a wielder. And man, I really appreciate how this game lets their characters have suffered something and not heal from it and not present it as like a awful thing, but it's just a thing that happened to them and they can just keep living even though it was such an important thing to them at the time they don't have to go they don't like he doesn't want to go back to it and it's i don't know it's just very it's poignant i i I really liked that moment because i wanted like i thought cardamom might be like you know oh yeah maybe i can you know, make up for something or something. Yeah. But no, that's not how Cardamom is. He has no regrets. And it's it's great because Cardamom is such 
a complete character departure from Blackberry. Mm-hmm. Where Cardamom is just this very easygoing, laid-back guy mm-hmm. who's not really that pressed about being a wielder or you know caring that much anymore. He just wants to kind of do his own thing and be happy about it. Mm-hmm. From pizza to Cardamom, you really get a very full picture of the lifetime of a wielder, which mm-hmm. I think is it creates a lot of or it draws a lot of insight for the world that the writers created where when you first become a wielder and then like before you become a wielder you feel inadequate right you feel like this must be a mistake you have a lot of imposter syndrome and then while you're the wielder you feel like a really crushing weight of the expectation of the world and then you pass down the brush to the next wielder. You worry super hard about it, that it's going to be the right person. Because now you know that the brush has the capacity for this really terrible thing. And then you kind of exit the whole process. And it leaves you like pretty drained and, pre- and like not wanting any part of it anymore. And it's, pr- you know, it, it makes me think that, you know, in a, in a, world where there's more of these characters in the game it's probably a lot more of them like that right yeah and i thought it was really interesting how like even well after being the wielder cardamom still had this belief that he wasn't good enough as the wielder because he says it one or two different times where like you know when i was the wielder i wasn't even that good of an artist type thing. And do we know if um, Cardamom was the wielder right before Blackberry or yes. is it assumed? He was. Okay. I really like how this game does have small moments of taking healthy accountability and mental illness because there are multiple parts where there's like one line from chicory that always sticks out in my head where she's talking about you know her struggles and her depression but at the same time she's like but i have to do better i have to be better and i think that's something that's really important for people to be able to recognize where it's like yeah you can't always be at your best whenever mm-hmm. you're going through mental illness, whether it's depression or anxiety or whatever. But it's also important to recognize during those times, how your Im- actions impact others. And trickery is like a prime example of, you know, she pushes this responsibility onto someone else cause she can't take it anymore. And at the beginning, she just doesn't think about it very hard. And she just kind of lets you go and do your own thing. But you know, over time, she begins to take responsibility for that action. She doesn't go back on it. She doesn't, you know, say she regrets it on, you know, directly. Mm -hmm. But she does sack up and take responsibility. And I think that's a very important thing to talk about sometimes is that accountability in mental health because it is important to recognize how your actions, however you took them still impact the people around you. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, I do want to say this is like 
a pretty fantastic depiction of living like day to day with just like a lot of the minutia and the really rough parts of dealing with a mental illness as someone who does myself i've played a lot of games that try to touch on this subject and handle it quite badly or use it as just kind of like a story device for a very specific purpose an instance that comes to mind is spec ops the line right with the hallucinations but you know this isn't like that i feel i felt very related to i felt very represented by the characters in the game that deal with the you know the the feelings of useless uselessness and the not being able to kind of function super well and the imposter syndrome and the worry you know that i felt that it was a really really good at least in my experience representation of the types of things that i feel like when i'm going through a really bad time and this may be just a me thing but like just almost all of the dialogue in this game didn't really feel like video game dialogue yeah like a lot of it just feels like normal conversations you would have with people like like the the scene with you and chicory pizza and chicory floating in the like the spring right yeah Yeah. and like all the other like just that and like i really like talking to pickle (laughs) and pickle's good uh (laughs) i also agree with you mason on the whole like the the having mental illness and never actually seeing the conversations that actually present the way mental illness affects like a person, a character in a thing. And I'm, I'm going to go farther than video games. I feel like most art that tries to say something about mental illness does it in like a worse way than this. Su- it's does. usually super heavy handed too. Yeah. Or like a, a very specific plot device. Yeah. It's like, well, it's, you know, it's not about mental illness. Yeah. It's about a guy with a split personality disorder well, or something. Yeah. When I think part of the reason it works in this game... not like this. I think part of the reason it works is because it's not so heavy-handed in this game. Mm-hmm. It is an aspect. It is not the entirety of this game. It is not the entirety of any of these characters. It is a. It is an aspect of... You know, it is an aspect of Chicory mm-hmm. that Chicory has depression and imposter syndrome. But that's not all chicory is mm-hmm. chicory is a mentor chicory is an artist chicory is trying to refind her place in life after kind of being uprooted from what she thought she wanted mm-hmm. so there's actually some like depth and dimensionality to these characters that i think a lot of media tends to not let characters with depression or anxiety have a lot of the time. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I also agree with, you know, what you all were saying about the dialogue and the characters being really relatable. Um, It's grounded. It's grounded. Yeah. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like part of why you encouraged me to play this game was because of what I do for a living. Yes, it was. And yeah. And, you know, maybe kind of expecting that I would kind of play through and view the game from that lens as a therapist, which I did a little bit like, you know, I did have, 
sometimes those thoughts of like, oh, I think this would be a really good game for, you know, some of my clients, especially some of the teenagers that I see um, to play this. But actually, the vast majority of the time I was viewing a lot of it from that personal lens. Like, you know, I am someone who's dealt with a lot of the stuff that's throughout the game in my own life. And to get really personal with it, like I was super depressed in high school, especially like the latter half of high school. And a lot of the dialogue points, especially with like chicory and pizza, like earlier in the game of like, you know, how uh, on depression, on self-doubt, those comments of like, you know, I'm a horrible person because of this and all this stuff. I was like, wow, that is like some of these lines are exact things that I said about myself and thought about myself. So it kind of caught me off guard a little bit because I wasn't expecting it to be like that personable. So I was just kind of like, whoa, this isn't like, this doesn't feel like a video game at this point. This feels like you're kind of in 17 year old me's brain right now. Yeah. Something I really I think can go unnoticed in this game just because it happens so early is the wielder temple, mm. like the journey through the wielder temple. It's, it's the second thing you do essentially. And I really, I find that whole part of the game interesting because it's framed. You get to see the world only as the people know it and how the history is contextualized to impact the presence rather than being an honest depiction of what actually happened because it's almost like prehistory type stuff or fanaticism of a figure of like the first wielder and the first and like the brush as a concept. It's almost religious in a way where they do this it's like a mix of historical revisionism because there were people that were alive. There, there was like easy ways for history to be passed down about what happened while also being this like mysticism about, you know, the, the tree that grew the first, that grew the brush and the first wielder and like all this like concept of the self journey that you have to go on. I think it's also really fun that there was a wielder at some point who just defaced all of this very caring dialogue that was written as if, you know, a nine-year-old was in church and just like started writing words in the Bible or whatever. I just find that whole section really cool because it gives you as the player a glimpse into the history of this world, which is something you basically only get in this chapter. Mm. And, you know, I think it does a good job of just like, I, I really hate great man mythology. Yeah. It really annoys me. It, I just get so bothered by the idea that just these powerful individuals are why existence is the way it is. And I love how this just kind of shits all over that concept by showing that, yeah, no, the wielder is just a person. 
who ends up wielding the brush. And that person could be someone who uh, writes call 6969420 for a good time yeah. on the bathroom stall. Yeah. Except this is a sacred temple where they're doing it, you know? <laughs> like writes the word butts. Yeah. Again. You know what I just thought of? I wonder if, I wonder if like there's people that feel this way that were like the Pope at some point. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, almost <laughs> it feels right. Th- it feels there's like a lot of parallels, right? Because it's it's the big important role. There's only one of it. There's a selection process. You, and say, you know, it's the Pope. It's the Dalai Lama. People have fought wars over it in the past. Some of the royals. Some of the royals. Yeah, it's like I bet I bet there's a lot of people that once held. Or maybe now deceased people that like once held this big important position that probably had these same feelings that the that the wielder characters that you meet did. My favorite author is Neil Gaiman, and I just really like his writing style and how he kind of approaches the world. He has this great story he tells where he's like, there was this one time... I was at a party and I just happened to strike up this conversation with a gentleman with the same name as me. And we were talking for a while and he's like, yeah, I don't really feel like I did anything that special. I was just a guy following his orders and being in the right place in the right time. And he's like, yeah, but you were the first man on the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Neil Armstrong had imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, that's a man who literally went to outer space and, did one of the most like impressive accomplishments in human history and, and important ones. Yeah. You can't understate it. So I think the reason why this game can resonate with so many people is because I think everyone, every normal person deals with some amount of imposter syndrome. Oh, absolutely. It, it's just so, I just love that there is a game that actually gets to touch on that in such a poignant way. So last thing I want to talk about, unless anyone has any hot takes, last thing I want to talk about is something we haven't really, something that hasn't been important for the games we've played up until this point is been the music. But, this is the game. This is like the first game where I feel like the music is super, super important to the core identity of the game. It's not. It's not necessarily important in every level specifically, but one Lena Rain is just like probably the best modern video game composer, and two, I think. There's just some of the tracks where I'm just like, I don't think this moment would be as strong as it is if the music were not at the the same level of what's happening on the screen. The the mm-hmm. the composition of the music is amazing. I will push back a little bit and say that we have played another game that the music was just as important in my mind but it was Disco Elysium. I think that's very high praise to hold this game to. Yeah. Because that, you know, that game had like the smallest church in Sin Sin. And, you know, this is like... And a very weird cover of Disco Inferno. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, to I I consider that high praise for this yeah. game. The, the soundtrack mm-hmm. is super well done. Mm-hmm. It's not just like your average 
adventure game inspired by Zelda, like which they could have they could have just done that and it would have been fine. There's there's like a there's like a lot of really nice motifs throughout and there's like a charm. There's like a charm to it, especially in the different cities that I really like. I highly recommend if you're a big music theory person or a music enjoyer, just going and li- there's like a good number of YouTube channels out there that kind of talk about the music theory of video games and just like beginning to get a, a firm grounded understanding of why music in some games is so important. Uh, another Lena game, another Lena rain soundtrack Celeste is one that gets brought up a lot in conversation. And if you can, if you go listen to musicians talk about why the music is so good at creating these anxiety inducing feelings in the music, and I think a lot of that is transferable into chicory. It, like a lot of the, especially in the you know the boss fights, the mm. and the names of the boss fights, like the titles of those songs, you know Blackberry, the back Blackberry Corruption fight songs called Monster. The Chicory Corruption fight song is called Erase Me. It's oh, just like Lena Rain is one of the only composers working right now, who I think really uses. There's a a, de- a device that a lot of video game composers do where the music swells in time with like the high action points. Lena's one of the only people who does it where it doesn't feel like super corny. I it felt it felt very nice. It felt very well done in in this game and in Celeste too to be fair. Right, well before we wrap up, does anyone have any hot takes for a hot take corner? PC game pass players are cowards and fools for only having like a 4% beating the game rate. Yeah, there's you, you guys are horrible. The the trophy rates in this game are similar. That's just sad. Please play please when you start just a video play game, just play chicory. Just play chicory. Just like 50% of the way through. Play chicory. It's it's not even like hard and the story's like interesting and good. Uh, you even get to have a really funny conversation about how characters are discussing what if capitalism existed <laughs> and, like, and how yeah, that, would that would be, be stupid dumb idea yeah next week we'll or next episode we'll be doing metal gear solid 3 oh, we're going to be so excited. finishing Crab battle the metal gear solid trilogy god is good for allowing me to do this for the podcast so i'm so blessed i get to see sam play building your solid three don't want you're not gonna want to miss that one but thank you all for listening and we will catch you next time